0: Yeah. And you're listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. Today's episode is sponsored by Panina Strausberg in honor of the first yard site of Shalomis Bas Yehoshua Mordechai, which is on Gimel Shvat. May Shalomis's neshama have an aliyah. Thank you, Panina, for making today's episode happen. Today's episode is also sponsored in honor of the fifth yard site of Chana Kesselman, which is on Chap Tes Teves, by her loving parents. May the growth and learning that comes from this episode bring joy to her neshama and continue the impact that she had and continues to have on so many. May we be reunited with the coming of Mashiach now. Thank you to the Kesselmans for making today's episode happen. If you are listening to this and would love to sponsor an episode of the podcast or give to Human and Holy in any amount because you want to bring our work into the world, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor or email us at info at humanandholy.com. I know we upgraded our email and I'm pretty excited about it. (laughs) All right, today we are talking Tanya, my absolutely favorite topic. If you've been here for a while, then you know. This paragraph of Tanya is pretty sweet, something we haven't discussed yet. The Altar of it talks about the locations of the animal soul and godly soul in our bodies and how that information can help us navigate our inner worlds. How can the Tanya's wisdom about the animal and godly soul's locations help us live a little more consciously and help us be a little less enslaved to our impulses? Join us today as Leah Rosenfeld shares her journey with two souls.
1: My name is Leia Rosenfeld. I live in Lake Worth, Florida. We run the Chabad Center here in Lake Worth. I actually grew up in Florida. This is my native state. I appreciate the weather even though I grew up here because I did live for a couple of years here and there in colder climates. And I have seven children, thank God. I teach in a high school. And that's about it. That's it.
0: Nice. Today we're going to be talking about the location of the animal soul and godly soul and how that information could be so useful in our daily lives. So I would love if you could just share a little bit of a backstory on this idea and the Tanya.
1: Sure. In introducing these two souls that every single Jew possesses, the Alta Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, actually gives us insight into their location which will ultimately guide the way we relate to them and understand where our thoughts our feelings might be coming from. The brains is the location, the mind is the location of the soul, the godly soul. And the left side of the heart, where you have the most fresh blood, the pumping, the emotions, that's where you have the animal soul, the natural soul. It's not bad. It's not negative by default. It's just self-serving. It makes me feel good, just like whatever it is, your heart, your feeling, it's impulsive. And the right side of the heart is also a piece of the godly soul, because that's the weaker emotion, emotional state of being. Ultimately, we do want to get the natural soul in sync with the godly soul, because then we have a much stronger emotional relationship with God, because by nature, the natural soul is more emotional.
0: Nice. Okay, so it all seems a bit random. How is the location of the animal and godly soul going to like be worthwhile information for us to know? So tell us how this information has helped you in a practical situation where you were able to like identify if it was your godly voice or your more human voice speaking.
1: So in a much more elementary level of speaking, I would call the godly soul the thinking soul, but thinking not just about me and myself, but just not being impulsive and the animal natural soul, the impulsive soul. My knee jerk reaction typically is going to be coming from my natural soul. I want to raise my voice at this person. I want to speak gossip. I'm going to give you an example that literally just happened yesterday. I wanted to share something with someone I was on the phone with and it wasn't necessarily the most of statement. It wasn't bad, but it was about someone else. And literally we got cut off three times. Like I got a phone call I had to pick up. She got a phone call she had to pick up. Three times back and forth, we had to hang up Mm. and I couldn't share this piece of information. And then I'm thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't be saying it. So that impulse to want to share that information, and it's not terrible, and I'm not trying to be disparaging to somebody, that's coming from my natural soul. Then that moment of reflection, where I'm able to not be impulsive and have a few seconds to think beyond my natural knee jerk, that's my godly soul saying, "Okay, maybe, maybe don't say that." And it comes into play in many areas. This is something so mundane, personally, where I used it, where I really needed to tap into that mind control and and thinking soul. We run a Chabad center. And one Shabbat in Shul, a mom of a bar mitzvah boy who was having a really rough morning, her husband had some sort of situation, an episode, she came over to me right before the services and was extremely rude. She said something that, I mean, I've never heard in all my years of doing this work, and I've been doing it in this location in Lake Worth for about 16 years, 16 and a half. In that moment, I had to make a decision. Now, of course, I'm the Robinson of the Shoal, so I'm not going to react by yelling at her. But at the same time, I was thinking, should I just back away, ignore, and remove myself from her toxic energy? I caught my husband for a second right before, and I just said, Mendy, that's my husband. I know it's a very uh, original Chabad name. Don't Even think of asking me to speak by the Kiddush about this family. I have nothing nice to say. And I shortly shared with him what happened and he completely validated the way I felt. And that was that. And then the services start and I'm debating if I should engage or not engage. I noticed that her guests didn't have Chumashim and I decided to, you know what, get over yourself. I wasn't suppressing my emotions, meaning I knew she did something wrong and I wasn't saying it was okay. I was just transcending the way I felt at the moment. Mm. And I got all her guests, and it felt good. It didn't feel like I was taking away permission of myself to be a part of her story and her narrative. I actually chose not to be a prisoner to it. I'm like, you know what? She did her and I'm going to rise above it. But I was still holding on to something. Mm. And then it came time to always when the boy gets the aliyah, my husband dances on the men's side with the boy and whoever's in the first row and I dance on the women's side. And I already had told my husband when I gave him my initial speech that there's no way I'm dancing with her. As they started singing Simitav and Mazel I think again, that thinking part of me, that transcendent part of me pushed its way forward and said, don't be a prisoner to somebody else's actions. Don't react to that. You're in charge of your choices. You're in charge of your reactions. And I got up and I danced with her and I danced with the people in the front row. And I think she might have been surprised, but I felt good. And then it came time for the Kiddush. And at that point, I said to my husband, you know, that's it. You know, Ad Khan until I'm not willing to, to speak nicely about them. And after the grandparents spoke and this one spoke and that one spoke, I whispered to him, I'm like, you know what? You can ask me to speak. I said, this boy is such a wonderful boy, and he was, and he is. And it must be a reflection of the incredible upbringing he has with his wonderful parents. I felt so unsuppressed. I felt so transcendent. I literally wanted to laugh and sing. It felt so good to be so in tune with my godly soul, so in sync with releasing that hold that our impulsive, Mm. emotional soul places on us that puts us as a prisoner into somebody else's actions or reactions or life or whatever it is their choices. It was just a transcendent moment. Now, of course, there are many times where I don't necessarily tap into that side of me, but there's never one time where I did that I didn't feel so released, so free. And I think coming from Yotzes Keslev, coming from Rosh Hashanah L'Hassidus, Tanya being printed on Chavke Slave. Ultimately, what people were fighting when the Alter Rebbe started spreading Chassidus, Chabad Chassidus, was this idea of using the mind as a gateway to the soul, because this was the novelty, this was the revolution of Chabad, Chachma Bina Das, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and very brief. And obviously, there's so much to say about that topic, but he said, the Alter Rebbe said, I understand where all of you are coming from, that you want to stay away from the mind. Because the mind can lead to very dangerous spaces. I mean, think about all the negative stuff that we do with our mind and the anonymous letters we write and maybe the horrible things we say or think in our mind doesn't actually come out. It's so, 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 so powerful and it can lead to skepticism and questioning and all those stuff that people maybe think in Judaism we tend to stay away from. And then the Alter Rebbe comes and says, it is so powerful. And if you use it in the correct way, it's a gateway to the soul because the soul is found in the mind. And that's what he introduced in the Tanya. If you read the uh, cover page, he uses the Pasuk, Ki hadavar ma'aid Tanya's whole basis is on this one Pasuk. It's very, very close to you in your heart and in your mouth to do it, which is basically thought, speech, and action. And it's interesting. People say, no, no, it doesn't seem so close to me. It's, it seems actually really hard to constantly be perfect in thought, speech, and action. And the altar says, no, 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 learn this book and you'll see that it's attainable. And yet, if you read through all 53 chapters of the Tanya, we'll notice that he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about speech and action. There are a few prakim, there are a few chapters that discuss that. But most of the time, we're dealing with the mind. Because he's telling us that if you get your mind to the right place, if you buy into this, if you truly internalize and intellectualize the concepts that we're going to learn in this Tanya, then automatically your heart and your actions and your speech are going to follow. You're not going to have to work on that. If your mind is there, if you're in tune with your soul, you're good. We're good to go. I love how you said that the
0: mind is the gateway to the soul. And I think that when people hear mind, sometimes they think... Intellectualism, but this is not at all what it means. It means the ability to think, the ability to be conscious, the ability to step in as the adult in the situation. And in both of the situations that you shared, there was a pause that was kind of enforced on you. Like you literally got cut off from your friend. And then just like as time went on, you're like, okay, I'm upset. And it wasn't right what she did. But like it allowed you to access something a little bit higher within yourself that allowed you to rise above, which I think is powerful
1: and you feel so in sync. As a Jew, the godly soul is really who we are. And that's what the altar Rebbe wants us to believe about ourselves so that we try to access it more often. So that when we do, we just feel so whole. We feel so in touch and in tune with the deepest part of ourselves. And it feels good. It does feel good. Even though it's so counterintuitive, because you're not allowing yourself to, you know, in today's day and age, we talk about say what you want to say and do what you want to do, do what makes you happy, and you're not giving in to that impulse, and that's what's really giving you that inner sense of wholeness, of completion, of joy, because that's really who you are.
0: So that's something that you mentioned. You said that when you did go outside of yourself and you danced with her and you shared beautiful words and you helped her guests, etc., you didn't feel suppressed. You felt alive, and you felt in sync with yourself. I'd love if you could speak a little bit to that. What is the line between feeling like you're suppressing your emotions and like you're tapping into what you truly want?
1: That's a very good question. And I will tell you that sometimes when you're tapping into that part of yourself, it takes time to feel the good. Because if it was so easy and so obvious, then it wouldn't be a challenge and we wouldn't be having this conversation and we'd all be perfect angels constantly in sync and doing what our soul wants there are times where it's a little bit harder i think that there's never a time where after the fact even if it's not 5 minutes but a few hours we don't feel better about the fact that we did not give into that impulse so what does it mean to be in sync with my essence It's one of those feelings that's very, very hard to describe, and I'm sure everybody has had those moments where they turned around and did a 180 on something that they wanted to do in the moment, and then just felt so free, literally free. I give the example to my teens in my teen class. I teach a JLI teen class as part of what we do in our Chabad house, and I was talking to them about freedom, true freedom. And I said, if there's somebody who is not in school, cutting school all day on his phone and doing whatever he wants and watching movies and being on the internet and making TikToks and whatever else it might be, would you call that free? Would you call him free? He's doing whatever he wants. So they said, no. I said, why not? So they said, because he can't be feeling good at the end of the day with what he's doing. Like Maybe he's just doing whatever he wants, but at the end of the day, when he has to sign the paperwork, it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm so, I'm so happy I get to do whatever I want. I explained to them that as a Jew, true freedom is when we're living in sync with our godly soul. How do we see that? Well, actually, when we left Egypt, we went from being slaves to paro to being slaves to Hashem. How is that freedom? Because freedom for every entity on this earth is going to be different. For a plant, freedom is being firmly planted in the ground with water, with sunlight, perfect freedom. If you're going to take an animal and tie it firmly to a place and all you do is give it water and sunlight, entrapped. An animal needs to be able to roam free and walk around and explore. Perfect. A human being, if you're going to give them all the capacities of an animal, it's not going to feel free. They need to accomplish. They need to feel like they're doing something, like they're accomplishing whatever it is that they set their goals to. And for a Jew, it's one step higher. We feel freedom when we're living in sync with what our creator wants. Why? Because we have a piece of our creator inside of us. So it's just our natural default. It's who we are, it's part of our DNA, it's the way we're wired. Even if we try to escape it, it's just always there. Maybe we can turn it off for a day or a week or even a month, but then it comes crashing down because it's just who we are. An animal might be okay for a night in a cage, leave it there for a month, and even if you're gonna give it its favorite treats, it's gonna feel trapped. And a Jew feels that way when we're not expressing our godly soul. So that's what I think going back to the original question, that feeling of transcendence, that joy, that power, it's not coming from me. It's coming from the deepest essence part of that piece of Hashem inside of me.
0: Nice. I think it would be interesting to explore the nefesh kiss, the godly soul as also being in the right part of the heart, because the neshama is also expressed in our hearts in a sense of longing and desire. And I think that you kind of spoke to that, but we could expound on it. Just the idea that because our real essence is our godly souls, something that we often access through our minds, through just pausing, being conscious beings, not just reacting and being impulsive. But then there's a part of us that just does feel a desire and a longing. And I think that in both of the examples that you shared, and we could definitely share more, there is a sense of, I want to rise above. And that is a feeling in the heart like a feeling of I want to connect to my godly soul. I want to be transcendent. It's the right side of the heart. So, yeah, go
1: ahead. Yes, yeah, so ultimately, if you go through Tanya, the Alter Rabbit does want us to access love and fear. He does want us to be emotional people. I mean, there's two paths that we're exploring, and one is creating a love, an intellectually created love that's extremely Precious to Hashem because we did it, we created it, or accessing the love that's already there, that's gifted to us by virtue of the fact that we're children of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov and Sarah Rachel and Leah. They had this love, so now it's just it's in our soul because our soul is a piece of Hashem. So it's almost like self-love. A Jew would never ever give up that relationship, and that's why people who don't practice Judaism will give up their life for Hashem because it's almost denial of self when you deny Hashem. It's a self-love. You're loving the peace of Hashem inside of you. So there is so many components of love in this relationship and also fear that you don't want to disconnect. You don't want to inhibit this relationship. The point of exploring with the mind is to create this emotional connection. An emotional connection is always stronger if we're constantly going to be using our mind, going back to the mind rules the heart. Sometimes it can just get overwhelming. If we're not feeling it, if our heart is not on board, then it can feel like suppression. We don't want to be there. So there has to be that growth of a loving relationship, of that fear of disconnection. There is so much of that in terms of, developing this connection to Hashem. And not only that, once we understand and feel how good it feels, then we actually get the natural soul, the nefesh of Hamas, on board, and we can be working in tandem. I understand that this is good. I want this too. Mm-hmm. And then the emotions are, are much, much more powerful. Going back to Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, when the Jews left Egypt, it says there's a Pasuk, "Mashchini Acharecha Nerutza." That draw me close and we will run after you. Mm. And it's saying, mashcheni is the Kiss. That's draw me close. But then we're going to develop a feeling also with the natural soul. And then we start running. The Kiss, the godly soul walks with intention and thoughtfulness and contemplation. The bahamis, the natural soul, the animal soul, it runs. So if we can get it on board, then the relationship is so, 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 so powerful, much stronger emotional connection. And that's ultimately why we're here. We're not here just to deal with the godly soul because that piece of God could have stayed right where it was and not be exposed to a situation where it does feel entrapped for the many times that we don't live in sync with it or we don't do what we're supposed to do. The point My gift, why I'm here, is my animal soul, because that's going to help me exceed anything that my godly soul could have accomplished up there without the challenge, without the tests, without the pushback, without any of the things that we encounter in our day-to-day life. And when we overcome that and the godly soul is on board, it is so powerful, so refreshing and so much higher than the angel, so much higher than my soul before it came into my body, and the reason why Hashem created the world.
0: Nice. I love how you said that, draw me close and I will run, and the visual- We of, will run. And we will run. The visual of the nefeshili kiss walking slowly, and then the Nefesha bahamas running, because whenever we're using this framework of the mind being the gateway to the soul, the mind is the gateway to the soul- making choices with consciousness and intention. But then as soon as that choice is made, if we could get the Nefesh Bahamas on board, then suddenly it becomes passionate and powerful where you're actually able to speak from the heart and you're able to dance and you're able to really be engaged. And not just like, I am making a choice to do what I know is right without really being able to feel it in this moment, but I know I'm accessing the higher part of me. I just think that visual was beautiful.
1: Yeah. It says, we will run because the Nefesh Bahamas is pulling the kiss along at that point. Like, come, we want this. Like, we really want it. Like, I have a relative who's much more intellectual, not a passionate person. Her sister is extremely passionate. And one time we were talking about how if she would hear that a relative's engaged, she'd be like, oh, that's so nice. Mazel tov. And we would be like, ah, she's engaged. Like, wake up. Come on. This is exciting. And that's what the Nefesh HaBahamis does for the Nefesh Kiss. It lends itself to giving it the emotional energy, which is not the advantage of the godly soul. It's in the mind. It's intellectual, then emotion. The animal soul is much more emotional. It's incredible when we could, like you said, have that incredible energy of them working together because then you're in a really, really positive, passionate place. I mean, if you think about a wedding, right? The day a person gets married. If the kala and the chasen are very much preparing in a way that they understand the uniqueness and specialness of the day from the spiritual end and how it's the most special day of their lives, and this is a union of souls, and they're truly in it and feeling it and thinking it, you see that joy and that passion, them being expressed in both angles at the actual wedding. There's this union of godly soul, animal soul energy that's just over the top. And it becomes so powerful that we can actually see it with our physical eyes. Right When that happens, it's like, oh, wow. And it doesn't feel like a frivolous, emotional, sweet 16 party. It feels like an incredible transcendent holy celebration there we go fusion of the godly soul with the animal soul that is eureka i love that we are
0: going in this direction because at the beginning you mentioned how we live in a society that is very much animal soul centered like what do you want right now and what are you feeling, etc. And I think as a result, I can only speak for myself because I'm young, but I think that like my personal generation, we are living in a Yiddish guide where there is no option other than to get the animal soul on board. Because if the animal soul isn't on board, we're not in. Like we need both. We need both. So I know personally for myself, certain things that like I know require self-transcendence. My method of activating that transcendence is to say, how can I get my animal soul on board? How could I make this? appealing as a human being. And the Rebbe spoke about that. Whenever we feel like our animals so ungodly, so like chafing against each other, or if you bring it to the Parakintana where the al talks about how the final verdict rests with the arbitrator, Kadivri Machria, What does that mean? That like the final verdict will rest? What was the arbitrator? I mean, according to Gamara, was someone who could come up with a verdict that included both, that satisfied both opposing ideas. So it's like when you're struggling to find the bridge between mind and heart, my impulse and my self-transcendence, can you find an answer that is like the arbitrator that includes both, that appeals to your nefesh and your nefesh kiss? For me, that has been very successful, personally.
1: Yeah. By the way, also, another explanation is that Debra machriah is Hashem. Right. You know, when, you're, when you're in that struggle, because sometimes we are in a struggle, that it just, it feels daunting and it feels too much for us. I can't. I can't do this. I have such a pull in both directions, and I'm not feeling transcendent, and I'm feeling pulled down. And then you say, Hashem, please help me. And he's like, obviously we know which side he's going for.
0: So (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna help draw us up.
1: But dovetailing off what you said with the getting the Nefshabamas on board, the Rebbe brings this idea in Mitahsha Lilishma Balishma typically means fake it till you make it, from not doing it with intention or with the true intention it will eventually become for Hashem's sake. You have to look at the words a little differently inside the low lishma, inside that you think you're not doing it the right re- mm. re- reasons. Lishma, it's really for Hashem. Nice. Sometimes your nefesh elikis will convince your nefesh ha'bahamas that it wants it. And you think I'm giving the tzedakah for honor or fame or for whatever it might be. Shama's like, no, 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 you're good because you're doing exactly what I want. Right. So you're not faking it. You're being who you are and you're tricking your Nefesh Bahamas, we think we're putting on a show for the outside world, but actually, your Neshama is the one who's controlling this entire scenario. The Neshama wants us to do what's right, and sometimes she'll convince the Nefesh Bahamas that there's ulterior motives. You're not doing it for the right reason, you're doing it for whatever your Nefesh Bahamas is going to speak to your Nefesh Bahamas, and like you said, getting it on board. But ultimately, as long as you're doing what the Nashama wants, inside what you think is Laila Shema is actually exactly what Hashem wants. And it's such a comforting feeling because sometimes we're not sure, wait, am I really doing this for the right reasons? Am I uh, imposter syndrome? Like that whole unfortunate side of social media where people are constantly questioning themselves and wondering and thinking, what do other people think about me? Because everyone's constantly exposed to me because everything's everywhere. So we have this constant questioning and the questioning we might think is coming from a good place, but it's not. That's not the intellect of the godly soul Mm. because the intellect of the godly soul will never say you're being an imposter. It will never say, why aren't you being more like so-and-so? It will never say you're a loser. That's not the godly soul. And people think, oh, but I'm just being authentic. No, who are you? You have an actual piece of Hashem. And anything, any thought that's not going to go in line with that, with that incredible power, infinite power that you have, not coming from the godly soul, even though it feels like a self-righteous thought. So the godly soul is telling me, you are amazing and you can do anything. Mm. And I believe in you because you have an infinite peace of God. Any line of thinking that's not in sync with that, We have to immediately eradicate from our brains because that's not the godly soul. Mm. Okay.
0: I love that because often when we think of the nevishly kiss being in the mind, we think of it as something that's going to be the harder thing to do, but we're going to like pull ourselves out of our impulse to rise to the level of the godly soul. But here you're saying sometimes the voice of the godly soul will seem too good to be true. Seeing us in too good of a light, like believing in us too much. And our impulse is like, no, but really, really, I'm not talented enough. Really, I don't have what it takes. And the godly soul, I think sometimes it's like it's harder to choose the godly soul because it seems like it's almost, it's too idealistic. It's too good to be true. I can't possibly be as good as this voice inside of my mind is telling me that like inkling, that suspicion that I have. I love that as another way of explaining what it means that we're rising to the level of the godly soul in our conscious beings when our impulse is that we are imposters or that we're not good enough or that we aren't doing enough, etc.
1: Or maybe I shouldn't because who am I fooling? It's not really who I am. Actually, that's really who you are. The famous story of the chassid who used to come dressed to the Rebbe Maharaj with his chassidic garb. And then one time he's like, who am I fooling? Let me dress the way I dress when I'm on business. And when he came, the rabbi said, I used to think that you were a chassid who sometimes wore business clothes. Now I see that you're a businessman who, whatever the point is, is that I think sometimes we lower our standards because we think we're being authentic. Mm. Does that make sense? We're lowering our standards because we're trying to be more authentic to our true selves, not realizing that our true selves are infinite. This idea that we have this godly soul literally gives me courage to do things that I would never deem possible for myself. I'm like, I have a godly soul. Of course I can do this. I'm not going to be uncomfortable to say, think, act, give this class. I have a godly soul. I have this incredible piece of Hashem. That is my godly soul speaking. Any voice that's going to put down my potential, any voice that's going to minimize what I can do or make me feel like I'm perhaps not showing my true self to the world if I'm being better than I was yesterday, it's the voice of the natural soul trying to pull me into a place that my godly soul doesn't want me to be.
0: I think that's the power of sometimes taking the leap based on the belief that the godly soul is my truest self, because when we make choices, we reinforce our identity. When you make that choice and you like take that leap, then sometimes it makes it easier to look in the mirror and say, yes, this is actually who I am, because I have proof that I did it and it felt right and it felt like who I am. And sometimes I do think we need to take that leap in order to feel that congruence with who we are.
1: You know when I see it most, because I take women to Israel every year. In that trip, it's living a different life than many of them lead here in Lake Worth. Mm. Meaning we're eating kosher all the time. That in and of itself, we're feeding our godly soul the food that it wants to eat. We're learning Torah every single day. We're keeping Shabbos. So there's this exposure to the godly soul for them in a way that they've never had it before. And you literally see the light on their faces. They're like, okay, when we go back, we want to keep everything. And I'm like, okay, guys, step by step, because you have a husband and you have children and there's going to be a party on Saturday. In order for it to be real, take small steps. Say that I'm not going to use my phone for a couple hours on Shabbat or whatever it might be. My point being is that when they're tapping into this godly soul that they're not used to tapping into in that way on a regular basis." There's this calmness, there's this joy, there's this transcendence that I'm describing, and they love it. It's hard, though, because then there is life, and life does bring with it many challenges that combat that self, that inner self-expression. I love Rebbe Yitzchak said, Hashem, if you put the five books of Tyra over the entire world, that wherever we looked, we saw the five books of Tyra and you put all the temptations and challenges of the world into five books, then you can expect us to do and live life the way exactly you want us to live it. But instead you put the words of Tyra into five books and everything else is surrounding us and drowning us and making so much noise. What do you expect from Bnei Yisrael? So even though we know this truth, it has to be nurtured. It has to be constantly fed. And like you said, in the choices that we make, in the things that we think about, in what we teach our children, in the things that we're going to bring into our home, the choices of books or media, whatever it might be, because there's so much in conflict with the godly soul that even though we understand its value, there is this constant need of nurturing. And it's not like one day I wake up and I understand and I listen to a podcast about how powerful my godly soul is and I understood it. And now, boom, okay, I'm, I'm going to live every day with it because we do have the natural soul that's constantly trying to combat it. And it has the support of a lot of what's surrounding us. In fact, on Tuesday night was my birthday. So I had a forbringan in my house with the women in my community. It's the first time I did a forbringan for my birthday. I'm ashamed to say. It just felt weird to do a birthday in. like, I oh, come to my birthday party. But last year, my community and my husband, they threw this huge, massive 40th birthday. And I felt that it was important for them to get the message that you don't just celebrate milestone birthdays. In Judaism, every birthday is worthy of being celebrated. So while I always celebrated it, this was the first time that I made a forbringon with my community. And one of the things I spoke about because it is Yoteska Slave was this idea of the godly soul and how powerful it is and how it literally helps us reach our fullest potential and be the best version of ourselves and understand who we truly are. And if I tell you the texts And the people who spoke to me afterwards, I wish you can tell this to my children. I wish my children could be exposed to this message. Because what are we hearing from social media, from everything around us is you're not good enough. You need this, you need that. It's actually designed to make us feel incomplete. Because if we felt complete, we wouldn't be buying all the products and books and whatever else they want us to buy, down to a pair of sneakers. If I felt like I had enough sneakers, then I won't buy their newest pair of sneakers. So no, your sneakers, your phone, your makeup, your exercise routine, whatever it is, is not good enough. And it's these sublime messages that literally shape the identity, Mm. not only of our teens, but even of us. And then you open the Tanya, and it says, actually, your true identity is an infinite piece of Hashem. Think about it, contemplate it, use your mind, stop doing everything with the heart leading the way because that doesn't make you feel good and happy. The most common example I always give because it's so relatable is you want to eat a pint of ice cream. If you're going to eat that pint of ice cream, maybe in the moment it tastes delicious. When you go to sleep that night, do you feel good that you did what you wanted to do and I ate what I wanted to eat? No. Whereas if you held back, In the moment, it might feel difficult and strained. But when you go to sleep at night, you're like, I'm so powerful. I'm so powerful. I cannot believe I just did that. I mean, we're we're talking about something so menial like ice cream, but I feel it's across the board. I wanted to say that and I didn't. The best thing for me, I guess the most empowering feeling for me, I wanted to feel that and I didn't. I held myself back from indulging in a negative feeling of being a prisoner to somebody else's perception or speech or even action. For me, that is when I feel so, so powerful, when I'm able to not indulge in negative feelings and save my feelings for positive things. It's incredible. And we know that also because when we're indulging in those negative feelings, how are we behaving towards the people that we love? Think about it. When I'm indulging and I really don't like what that person said about me and I'm going to say what I want to say to her and I'm going to talk to all my friends about what she said and then my kids come home and I'm a wonderful, loving mommy to them because I indulged in all those negative feelings, probably not. Whereas if I rose above and said, I'm actually not going to be a prisoner to what that person said or what they did. I'm going to tap into all the feelings of positivity that come from my mind, my godly soul telling me how valuable I am, how worth it I am, how important I am, how much I'm needed. And then when my kids come home from school, different frame of mind. I'm where I need to be. So ultimately, when we don't tap into those negative emotions, we have the emotional space to be loving when we need to be to the people we need to be.
0: I definitely hear the value of this. And I'm also wondering at the same time, do we sometimes need a healthy release of those negative emotions? Like sometimes the negative emotions are information, like something needs to change. Let's say in that situation with the bar mitzvah, I don't know what the situation was. Let's make it up, but let's say you had overextended yourself. You had pushed yourself way too hard and she saw you as like her slave. And then she said something nasty to you and you're so upset. You're so upset. And if you just like rose above it, then you would never be able to access like, wait, why did she feel like she was able to speak to me like that? Maybe because I made myself into her slave. And that's healthy information for me to know for next time, which is that I should be helping, extending myself, but maybe we need someone else to take care of the bar mitzvahs. Now I'm totally making up these details because I know this is not what happened with you, but that's an example where just rising above it wouldn't necessarily give you access to like a healthy change that needs to happen.
1: So that's such a good point because we're not advocating for not taking care of situations that need to be taken care of. We're putting ourselves in toxic environments where we're constantly going to have to be transcending, where we know <laughs> we're going to be getting pushback and push. Okay, transcend. I know right. No. There right. are some people who we distance ourselves from, even according to Tanya. If it's toxic energy for me, if it brings out negativity in me, I know that right now I need space from this relationship. There are some relationships that need to be redefined and we have to say, okay, Clearly, there's not a healthy boundary here. I once spoke to Mama Shpia about this, about a particular situation. I don't even remember what the situation is, but the advice is something I use all the time, a mentor of mine. She said, because I said, I want to say X, Y, Z to this person. So she said, Leah, what are you hoping to gain from the situation? Mm. What is your ideal end result? And are you going to get there from having this conversation? I'll give you another Example of something that happened to me. And again, I'm sharing my transcendent moments because, for the value of this phone call, that's what we want to promote. The other stuff I'm not proud of. Not that I'm not proud of, I shouldn't say that. That was part of my journey. And each day we're, we're trying to be better. So, this particular situation somebody embarrassed me in public for no reason. They flipped the lid yelled at me. I was pregnant, like seven months pregnant. So as it is, my emotional energy was extremely high. And I walked out of the place where this was and my husband came out with me and I released a few tears and I told him I'm never talking to this person again. And he understood that that was a valid decision. The person really Overstepped a boundary, and it was definitely because of the place that they were in and something that they were going through, but still it was traumatic for me. This was in the beginning of the week, and throughout the week, I was thinking about the situation. Do I have a conversation with this person? Do I talk it out? Do I hash it out? And I realized what is the end goal here? This person was not a Kaylee to have that conversation. In addition, I don't have constant communication with this person where I constantly have to be in their presence. And I realized that not speaking to them was taking more energy from me than speaking to them. So I actually called them on Friday afternoon, not expecting an apology. Because if I expected the apology, I would have hung up that phone call and felt deflated. So I called them to wish them good Shabbos and they acted like nothing. I'm sure they knew what they did wrong, but they are not in the place to acknowledge it. I knew what I wanted from that relationship. I knew what I wanted for a release for myself. And I knew what to expect. And that's how I entered the conversation. And so I left it feeling transcendent. So in situations where something does have to be fixed, I've had conversations with people, not you're yelling and screaming. You're not getting anywhere. You're not fixing anything. Did you ever change because somebody yelled at you and was impulsively reacted to something wrong that you really did? You did something wrong and they yelled at you. Okay, now I'm going to change? No. So even when the situation deserves rectification and the release, it's still better not to react in the moment. It's better to transcend in the moment And come back to it when we have a plan of action, when we know how I want to go through this, what I can expect from this relationship. And guess what? Throughout my life, there have been relationships that needed to be redefined in my mind, using Mm. my godly soul, using my mentor. Okay, I have to redefine this if I don't want to constantly walk away disappointed. Nice. And it's so helpful because then I'm not feeling suppressed all the time because I don't have that expectation. I like that a lot because what you are saying, what I understood is that I'm going to choose
0: not to release my emotions in the moment so that I could think this through. How do I want to show up? If I want to have a conversation, what type of conversation do I want to have? Because if I have the conversation now, I'm only reacting. I'm not able to access my true self. And my true self, I think my true self is like my piece of infinity. Sometimes feels abstract. It's like my true self, what I actually want. Just as simple as that. Like what I actually want is not to like leave this place in tears and say like, how could you speak to me like that? I hear that. I think that's a really good framework for how to do it. That's great. Okay. So what would be your advice for anyone on how to begin to access this awareness in the moment when they're feeling activated? Because something that I was thinking about when you spoke about learning Tara and and teaching and sharing these ideas with your community was that the godly soul doesn't really need to be educated about these things. Obviously Torah study is like an act of connection between us and Hashem, but it almost seems like Torah study is really an act of education for our animal soul. So that in the moment when our animal soul feels activated, how could we access the godly truth that our godly soul already knows?
1: But it's also for me to know this part of me that is the expressive mm. me to know how powerful I am. Before the Rebbe introduced Tanya, People thought we have some spiritual energy and sometimes we're good and sometimes we're bad. And then through Tanya, the Altair tells us, actually not. You are your godly soul. And the other stuff are things that you have. You have negative qualities. That's not who you are. You can transcend that. That's not who you are. Your godly soul is who you are. That piece of knowledge helps me access the godly soul. It's not a fast fix and it comes with an incredible amount of learning and the more we learn and the more we exercise that muscle, the better we get at it and the more we realize how good it feels and how much more wholesome our life becomes when we start to live in sync with my peace of infinity, the more I want to. Every part of me wants to. My godly soul And my animal soul also starts running after that because the animal soul wants to feel good. And now I feel so good. I feel so balanced. I feel like me because that is me. Nice.
0: I'm wondering, is there something really practical that you use in the moment to try to like reorient yourself towards your deepest truth?
1: It could sound esoteric, but I guess it's coming from Tanya and we're coming from Gittis So that's where my brain is. And I just taught Perik, Lama, Gimel, and Tanya. So this okay, is where I'm at right now. Okay. Okay? So there's so much nuggets of information in the Tanya that you can use as your immediate crutch when you're in the moment of challenge. I think one very powerful thought for any situation is, This is all Hashem. Take a step back. This is all Hashem. People are making their choices, but Hashem is the reality. The natural world doesn't have a hold on me. This person has no power over me. It's all Hashem. It gives you this broad-minded, global, infinite perspective. And now I don't have to be trapped in the small minds of people who might be saying things that are completely inappropriate. Even of my mind that might be saying something that is not of dignity to myself. It's all Hashem. Walk away. This is the Avister. Big things, small things. And we're talking about having a traffic ticket, having a fender bender, dealing with somebody who spoke nastily to you, losing a prospective business deal. I mean... Whatever it might be, this is Hashem. Walk away and recognize that in the moment. If you expand your brain to be able to internalize and intellectualize that piece of information, it takes the edge off the pain and actually brings us a little bit of serenity. It's Hashem. He's in control, and I'm letting it go to Him.
0: I love that. I actually think that's quite practical, and it does. It takes the edge off the pain, which makes it easier to access our minds in the moment. Thank you so much. This was great. I really enjoyed it. I loved speaking to you. The animal soul lives in the left side of my heart, pumps blood through my body. It is the reactionary part of me, my impulses, the part that wants to protect myself at all costs. The godly soul lives in my mind and in the right side of my heart. It is the curiosity, the pause, the let me be intentional about what I do next. It is the awareness that there are pieces of the story I might be missing. The godly soul is also my longing, my yearning for something more. When I am activated, can I access my curiosity? Can I pause to give my godly soul a moment to clear her voice? Do I want to live on the hamster wheel of my bloodstream? Or do I want to guide my body towards where I'm trying to go? Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Hasidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful
1: day.